Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Everybody having a good day? Yes. Go ahead and say, just slap a high five to somebody. Just let them know you are alive and well. We want to encourage each other. We want to build each other. We also want to make sure we're up together. <laughs> All right. Praise God. It is so good to see you all here this morning. You know, we ended on a song this morning that, that declared, you are good. God, you are good. You're so good. And you know, these last couple of weeks, we've been on a series entitled Love Made Away. And you know, the goodness of God is synonymous with his love. It's because he loves us that he is always good. Always. God is always good. So a couple of weeks back when we first started, we learned simply that God made a way for us through Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus, in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, said to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want you to just consider that when God decided to show the entire world, not just you, but the entire world, his love, he did it through the person of Jesus. He made a way where there was no way for us to have relationship with God. He made a way where there was no way for us to, to get out of our sin. He made a way where there was no way for us to live in a triumphant manner in life. He made a way through Jesus. And last week we learned that God operates, his, this love of God operates by his grace and his truth. And so simply put, grace is God's favor and his love for us. But it's God's grace and favor without Merit. We're not doing anything to earn it. It's literally that simple. Everybody say this with me. God loves me. me. Now, if you believe that, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't try to earn anything from God. You, You can't pay for it. That's why we have Jesus. Amen. And so God's grace. It's God's favor. It's God's love towards us without without a receipt, without merit on our behalf. And truth, we learned last week, is the tool by which God uh, gives us to walk out his plan for our lives. And so grace and truth work together. Jesus put it this way. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The key is know the truth. And so today we're going to uh, endeavor upon a next uh, portion of this uh, sermon. And we're going to dig in a little bit. And what we're going to be looking at is... A deterrent to God's love fully operating in our lives and how to overcome it. This is a simple message today, but it'll change your life if you receive and know the truth that's revealed by God's word. Today we'll be discussing overcoming fear. Overcoming fear. See, fear is something that we all face in the journey of life. How many of you would agree with that? Listen. It doesn't matter how much you love Jesus and how much you've received from the word. Fear comes. Fear knocks on your heart. Fear, fear speaks to you. Fear whispers to you. Fear brings doubt. Fear brings worry. Fear points you to depend upon yourself. 
So it comes in the form of worry and doubt. It, it robs us of sleep if, if it doesn't go tempered. It, it can make the present and the future seem uh, dim and impossible. It can seize upon our heart and lead us to things such as depression, anxiety, torment, condemnation. It can strip us of confidence and dependence upon God. Fear. All these things are so, and so much more are reality in this world today. And if we do not learn from God's word how his love overcomes that fear, we will fall subject to these things. See, the power to overcome fear lies in the way that God made by his love through Jesus Christ and through Jesus only. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to just consider this point that we're going to be looking at today. That you can overcome your fears. You really can. But it's because Christ overcame them for us. We can overcome our fears. But because Christ overcame them for us. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. It says that there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love. That word perfect simply means complete love. But perfect love casts out, it does away, it dispels, it pushes out, it, it, it diminishes, it ceases, it cuts off fear. But watch why. Because fear involves torment. Can I just say something about fear? Fear is what we do to ourselves. Fear is the torment that we inflict upon ourselves as we buy into lies, as we deviate from God's word, as we put confidence in other people, in other things, in past experiences. It's the type of thing where we allow ourselves to create stories and allow an an entire outcome to, to unravel in our mind and our heart becomes seized with fear because we believe what we're thinking. And while the enemy's a liar, we take on the lies if we're not careful when we're void of the truth or we're disregarding the truth. And what we do is, in essence, we torment ourselves with the very lies that the enemy will whisper to us. Fear involves torment. It goes on to say in 1 John 4.18, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Simply put, he who fears has not allowed the love of God to come to completion in their understanding. Here's what I didn't say. I didn't say that the love of God is lacking anything. I didn't say that the love of God is incomplete. But we must do something with the love of God that allows for it to come full circle in our hearts and in our minds. And so what we see here is that when fear prevails in our lives, because we have not allowed God's love to come to completion in our lives, uh, that something happens. Torment takes place. That word love there speaks of the highest characteristic of God. It gives itself holy. It's that kind of love. It's a love that's for the complete benefit and uplifting of another. It speaks of a tender and a passionate affection that clings unrelentingly. I love the way Unger's Bible Dictionary puts it. It says that this love, this agape love, that's the Greek word for it. This love is active and dissatisfied if it is not blessing another. 
And this love addresses fear. This love addresses those worries, those doubts. How is the question? See, that fear that we're talking about that the Bible's describing here comes from the original word phobos, which is where we draw the word phobia from. And that word phobos speaks of a dread or a terror that seizes upon us to the extent that we become powerless. We render ourselves powerless. We live in a constant state of torment. We use fear as a tool to condemn ourselves, to pull ourselves down, to buy into lies. But what we also see according to 1 John 4.18 is that God's love is powerful enough I said, God's love is powerful enough to overcome every fear, every fear, every source of fear that we buy into, everything that we subject ourselves to that produces fear in our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 5 through 7, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul says to us, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you that is in you now granted what we have here are the letters of the apostle paul written to a young pastor named timothy and what we're going to find here just in these three little verses is that timothy had a cause for fear something was going on we don't know exactly what we do know that there were some challenging times in the macedonian church and the ephesian church that he oversaw but Paul draws our attention and God draws, uh, draws, Paul draws Timothy's attention and God draws our attention to this. He says that he calls to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Let me just say simply to you, no matter where you are in your stage of your walk with Jesus Christ, whether this is brand new to you, you've been doing this for years, or you're discovering God in a different way, a new way, a way that is life-changing to you right now, that is transforming your thinking, that is revealing a relationship with God with you and is making Jesus real, more than just a concept, but real. In whatever stage you find yourself in, I want you to understand that you have something precious in you. And it's called faith. And it's the faith of God. It's a gift of God to you. It's the very thing that gives you the ability to look unto God, to trust God, to receive the truth of God's word, to be renewed in your understanding. And so God has gifted you and I. And he reminds us. He says, I am persuaded it is in you also. To whatever extent you are living according to faith. If you are in Christ, your faith is not minimal. We might minimize it sometimes by our deference to it. We might minimize it sometimes by our dependence upon ourselves or other things. But nonetheless, in Christ, you have everything you need, including faith. And so in light of that, the Holy Spirit says to us, therefore, I remind you. Go ahead and tap your neighbor's shoulder and tell him, I remind you. Tell somebody else, I remind you. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
This is what God says to you and I. Draw out your faith in Jesus. Draw it up. It's meant to come to the surface of your life. That's where our faith belongs. And that's where we overcome the very lies that yell at us, that torment us, that scream fear. In the midst of Timothy's fear, God reminds him and us that we were not created to live in fear. As a matter of fact, that fear is not a part of us. There are some that have interpreted this scripture to say that there is a spirit of fear. But if you look at this and you evaluate it, and you evaluate it what the Holy Spirit is saying is this. Fear is not a part of your makeup. Fear is not a part of how I created you to be. Thus, we have... Many examples in scripture that says to us, be strong and courageous. Having done all to stand, continue to stand. If God is for you, who can be against you? A thousand will fall on your left hand, ten thousand on your right, but you'll continue standing. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God to you and I. And so fear is not part of the design that God has recreated in us in this new life that we now have in Christ. But here's what our makeup is. Power. I said power. Love. And a self-controlled mind. When fear comes knocking, we must consider the truth that God reveals. That he declares to us. You might feel fear, but don't take it on as your identity. See, you are not fearful. Let me just put it simply to you. You are powerful. You are powerful. You are full of power. You are full of the assurance that God loves you. God is with you. God is for you. God will never leave you. God sustains you. God is faithful to his promises. God provides for you. If God calls you, he equips you. If God sends you, God's got you. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you have no cause to be full of fear. You are full of power. As a matter of fact, you never run on empty. Never. Absolutely never, because the one that is in you is greater than anyone that is against you that's out there somewhere. Therefore, if we are to overcome the crippling effects of fear in our lives and live in the power, love, and soundness of mind that is ours, we must stir it up. We must draw it up to the surface. We must dig according to what the word says and pull it up. You know, one of the things that we sometimes don't do often enough is encourage ourselves. Oh, we'll go to someone else for encouragement. We'll pick up the phone and call somebody. We'll text some people and say, oh, my prayer warriors, hit me up. Please keep me in prayer. That's all good. But ladies and gentlemen, just understand something that you can't live on somebody else's faith. You are full of faith. And, you, and we must rise and stir up according to that which God has done in us. Hmm. So today, I want to turn 
to a portion of scripture. But before we get there, I just kind of want to introduce it. Today we're going to be looking at a, a snapshot, a portion of the life of a man named Daniel. Daniel was a man, this is the Old Testament times, this is before Jesus, so the rules were different. But Daniel lived under captivity his entire life. Daniel's life was spent under the reign of three kings. The first being a king named Nebuchadnezzar who destroyed the people of Israel. The second, Nebuchadnezzar's son, a man named Belshazzar, King Belshazzar. And the third, a foreign king from the, the empire that was made up of two nations. Uh, I, I, it was uh, the Medes and the Persians. And it was a king by the name of Darius. Now what's interesting is that though Daniel was captive, though Daniel was under the subjection of this kingdom against his will, God's blessing was upon him. So much so that he prospered in wisdom. He had favor with the kings of his time. And he ruled, he came to rule at the highest levels of government. Despite the fact that in all reality he was a slave to these empires. There came a time when Daniel was appointed as the chief overseer of 120 governors, of all the governors under the, of the land under the rule of King Darius. And the thing about it is that these 120 governors were not happy with it. You see, they were born in this kingdom. They were of the, the people of Persia and Mede. These people were royal blood. They, 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 they grew up in the palace alongside the king of the times. And these people were not happy that King Darius favored someone that they looked at as less than them. And so these 120 governors come up with a plan. You see, Daniel was so favored that they knew, and and Daniel was so upright in the eyes of God, and so devoted to the things of God, He had so much integrity that the Bible tells us in Daniel 6 that they could find no fault in him. They could find nothing to accuse him of. And so they said, if there's nothing we can accuse him of, let's band together as 120 governors and let's go to the king and let's propose a law. A law that we know Daniel will break. And so they go before King Darius and unbeknownst to him because Uh, Daniel had favor with this king, with King Darius. Um, Unbeknownst to King Darius, uh, he wasn't aware of the, the plot and the true motives behind what they were proposing. But they proposed, they said, oh, great and mighty king. We propose that for the next 30 days, no one pray unto any God or anyone but you. You see, in these times... And according to these pagan uh, empires, when you were king, you were God. You were a God. You were not a man. You were considered a God. And so they propose no one in the entire world that is under our dominion for the next 30 days can pray. They can only pay homage and kneel and pray towards you, O great and mighty king. And so the king says, hey, that's a great idea. Draw it up and I'll sign the papers. And so he signs it into law. Now, the thing about these, these particular times is that when these kings signed something into law, it was as if you wrote it in stone. You couldn't change it. And so, unbeknownst to King Darius, 
he was literally sealing the fate of Daniel. And so I want you to imagine this. The deed is done. The death sentence has been put into place. For anyone that broke this law, they proposed, whoever was caught breaking this law, they would be thrown into a lion's den. And so I want you to consider and put yourself in the place of Daniel. The announcement's been made in all the world ruled by this pagan empire. And you're Daniel and you hear, if you pray to your God and we find out you're dead. You're dead. You're done. It's over. How would you feel? Don't answer that. Just think about it. And what would be your initial reaction? You see, Daniel, according to the scriptures, was a man that prayed frequently. He prayed three times a day, the Bible tells us. And this man, if you, if you look at Daniel 9 and, and look at other portions of scripture, God heard this man when he prayed. Just like God hears you when you pray. But while the Bible doesn't tell us that Daniel was afraid, it doesn't tell us that Daniel sustained an initial blow of fear. Here's what we know as people, that we're all subject to that initial blow. It comes. It comes. And so, while the Bible doesn't tell us that, I'm pretty sure that Daniel felt that initial blow. Every one of us can relate and understand this if we're truthful with ourselves. It doesn't mean that you're living in fear. It doesn't mean that you're succumbing to fear. It just means that you understand what it is when fears come. Every one of us can uh, attest to a time where we found ourselves there, even while walking in faith. Those moments when something happens that is unexpected, something that threatens to bring us harm or even our demise, the death of a loved one, the loss of income, sickness, marital problems, a wayward child, the loss of, uh, expect, of an expected opportunity, uh, somehow something's not materializing and you're believing God for something in the midst of all that fear whispers. We're all subject to these moments in our life and the question is, how do we overcome those fears? How do we overcome those, those questions, those sources that bring about fear and have the ability to produce it and overtake us in our life? And more importantly, how has God's love made a way for us in the face of fears? And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. See, regardless of the initial blow that we experience in the face of fear, we learn some key things from Daniel in this circumstance. Upon hearing about this law, Daniel does something that many of us do in the midst of fear. He turned to God. For some of you, here's what it sounds like. Ay, bendito Padre, ayúdame, por favor. For some of you, you go, oh, Jesus Christ. For some of you, help me, God, get me out of this one. But I want to show you something about Daniel's response upon hearing this. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel learned of the, that the decree had been published, he went to his home upstairs, to, I'm sorry, to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. In other words, 
towards the holy city of God. And it says that three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed. But watch this. Giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. See, this was no ordinary prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Get this picture. Daniel has heard the decree. He understands the risks of being killed for praying unto our God. But his prayer is not one of fear. Listen, Daniel gives thanks. He gives thanks. Let me encourage you that when fear strikes, switch gears. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. When fear strikes, switch gears. At the core, fear is faith in reverse. Let me say that again. Fear is faith in reverse. Let me tell you what I mean. It's literally putting confidence in the source of our fear than in God himself. It's taking a hold and inviting and embracing those questions that say, well, how are we going to make it? And what if this doesn't work? And what if God's word doesn't come through? And God, I've been waiting upon you and I've seen nothing. What, what, in the midst of those things, when we invite those things, when we embrace those things, when we take hold of those things, what we're doing is we're walking faith in reverse. We're misappropriating faith. We're misplacing it where it does not belong. We are putting confidence in that which is contrary to God's word. See, faith works both ways. You can put faith in God, but you can also put faith in problems. We can put faith in tribulation. We can put faith in people and their letdowns and whatever. We can put faith in our diagnosis. We can put faith in what the doctors have said. We can put faith in all these other things. That is literally faith in reverse. Switch gears, ladies and gentlemen. I said switch gears. Tell somebody, go ahead and switch gears. Switch gears. I love what Psalm 56 verses 3 and 4 says. The psalmist says this. He says, when I am afraid. Notice what he's talking about. This is, oh, great and mighty King David. This is the man that God declared is a man after his own heart. And what David says is, when I'm afraid, can I just be honest with you? There's nothing wrong with the blow of fear. What's wrong is what we do with it. What's wrong is what we do with it. When we misplace faith. You hear what I'm saying? That makes sense? And so David says, whenever, when I am afraid, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. But watch what he says. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? See, instead of where, instead of following where faith leads us to trust, or should I say mistrust, we should turn towards God in whom we trust. See, we see something here about the words of King David. Notice that he says, I will praise his word. David is literally saying, I am looking 
to God's word. In other words, lift up and look up to what God's word says. Lift up and look up to what God's word says. You know, I, this weather has not been cooperating with my plan for the spring. I've been wanting to get out on my motorcycle. And on Saturday, I was it on Friday, it was 73 degrees and I had a ton of work that I had to get done past the net. I was cracking the whip. You got this, you got this. And I was like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. Right? And so I was on it. By the time I got home, I was, I was spent. I just wanted to just relax, spend some time with my family. So I didn't get out on my motorcycle. Yesterday, it was pretty decent during the morning, right? And man, I wanted to get out, but I had some things to do. So I said, I'll go out later. But then it got real cold and went and I said, I'm not going out. Anyway, I'm just complaining right now about the fact that I want to get on my motorcycle. But one thing, yeah, thank you, brother. That, that's a Christian right there. He believes in motorcycles. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. Um, that I experienced many times. And when you ride a motorcycle, you will experience. There will come those moments where you see a pothole that's unexpected. You see leaves and gravel that you didn't anticipate being there. Uh, You see a dead animal on the road or you see uh, uh, some debris or something that falls off of a car while you're on the highway doing 70 miles an hour. And in the midst of those things, the worst thing that you could do is look down. Because the first thing they teach you when you're learning how to ride a motorcycle is wherever you look, that's where that motorcycle is going. Why do I share that with you? Because we learn something from David and even from Daniel. That in the midst of fear, when they were afraid, here's what they did. They looked up. They looked up. I said they looked up. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. I want to encourage you with something. It's so simple, but I believe that for some of us, we need to hear this. Look up. Look up. Look up to what God's word says. Esteem, value, lift up the word of God. Because what you don't know is that that word is, the, is what is holding you. And so if you, lift, if you lift it up, where is it pulling you towards? Upwards. Lift up God and his word. Lift up God and his promises. Lift up the truth of his word. Hey, just so you know, even God has done that. He says that he's exalted his word above his very name. And so if it's good enough for God, guess what? It's good enough for us too. And so just as Daniel and David, we shouldn't put our trust in men or anything outside of God. Daniel went straight to his room to talk with God. David says that when, he was, when he's afraid, he trusts God and he praises God's word. See, if you're going to switch gears and you're to overcome fear in your life, in our lives, if we're to overcome it, it's not a matter of simply saying you're going to trust God. It's a matter of depending completely upon God. Completely depending upon God. Completely. So as the story goes, these governors go and they, the law's already in place and they go seeking out Daniel. And Daniel, unwilling 
to deviate and waver from his faith and his love for the Lord is found praying to God. And so these, these governors go to the king and they say, King Darius, you implemented a law that can't be broken. We found Daniel praying to his God. King Darius, you got you to gotta sentence him to the lion's den. The Bible says that King Darius was perplexed. You see, he had a heart for Daniel. While Daniel, in essence, was his enemy, he loved Daniel. He saw the favor of God upon Daniel. But because of the law that he had implemented, he saw no choice but to go forth with it. Daniel chapter 6, 17 tells us that a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Let me tell you exactly what's happening here. The king has a big boulder put over the mouth of that lion's den. Daniel's in there with the lions. But to ensure that no one changes those circumstances, he puts his seal, his signet, which nobody can break upon that stone. And then he grabs all his nobles, all his royal people, and he says, and place yours there. If it's broken, we know somebody tampered with it. In other words, it was an impossible situation. It seemed impossible. But I want you to know something. That your fears are not final. Your fears are not final. See, fear has a way of making things appear like there's no way of possibility. They whisper to us and when we entertain them in our minds, they box us in and keep us from seeking or seeing God's hand at work. Literally, they wrap themselves around us and they seize upon us to such an extent that we feel trapped. It's the reason why we teeter-totter between indecision. It's the, it's the reason why we freeze and we're stunned and we, we, we wallow in emotions and, and confusing thoughts and we seek other things. But your fear is not final. As we will see here, despite the fact that Daniel was left at the mercy of the lions, God had the final say in the matter, and instead, the lions laid at the mercy of Daniel. I love the way Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 in the message version puts it. It says, do not fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let, petition, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Listen closely to this. It's wonderful what, happen, what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Man, God has the final say. I said God has the final say. God has the final say. The Bible says that that whole night the king was restless. He could not sleep. 
You see, he did not want this for Daniel. But once morning came, he was the first one up in the kingdom. And he went to see if God had kept Daniel. When, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in, in, in uh, Daniel 6 that when he placed Daniel in the den, he said, Daniel, may your God help you. In verses 21 and 22, it says that Daniel answered when the king came in the morning and saying, Daniel, are you all right? Did your God deliver you? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me. Listen closely. Why? Because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done wrong before you, your majesty. Listen, the Bible tells us that our righteousness from God is like a breastplate. It equates it to armor. It protects us. Daniel identifies here why the lions could not touch him. It was because in God's eyes, he was righteous. You know, it's loosely associated to this, but I'm reminded now what the Bible says about God's righteous. And it says that he's never seen the righteous, their children forsaken or begging for bread. And you know, that applies in every area of our lives. God will not forsake his righteous. Let me, let me, let me bring it home for you because for some of you, you're equating righteousness to what you do. And if you're a child of God, because you are a child in God, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, because you are the beloved of God, because you are favored of God, because God paid the ultimate price for you, because you are inscribed upon his hands, because he holds you and covers you under the shadow of his wings, because you are a child of God, righteous, holy, Beloved, accepted of God. Ladies and gentlemen, because you are right in his sight, he delivers you always. When fear comes to knocking, you kick that door down and you answer, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't touch me. You don't belong here. Scat. Scram, kid, you bug me. Beat it, devil. Your lies are powerless. Listen, you got to be bold. You know, I, I love what the scriptures say. It says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Who's the bigger lion in the den? Let me, let me, let me take that a step further. Who's the, bigger lion? Who's the bigger lion in the dens that you face fears in? You are. I said, you are. In Psalm 34, verse 19, it says this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So let me just pause right there. Listen, the truth is that those sources of fear will come. They'll come. Scriptures declare it. Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation in this world. But he says, rejoice, I have overcome. And I want you to see the second half of this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. Listen, all, all, every last one of them, all of them, 
all of them. Can I, can I just share a thought with you as encouragement? Because I feel somebody here needs to hear this today. That means you shouldn't entertain some or any that contradict the word of God. Because God delivers you from every source of fear in your life. See, though Daniel was thrown to the lions, he remembered who he was in God's sight. And he banked on God's faithfulness to bring him out because of it. See, though we face many things in life that bring adversity, trouble, and distress, we must remember our standing with God. We are righteous in his eyes. There is nothing more comforting, nothing more comforting in the midst of those things that can produce fear in our lives than knowing that in the midst of those fears, God loves you and he will deliver you always. 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 One of the best examples next to Jesus that we have as we close here today is from a person that we just looked at another portion of of scripture that they wrote. It's a man named David. David knew the love of God. He knew the mercy of God. David saw God's hand upon his life countless times throughout his entire life despite those times when he cowered to his fears. Despite when he resorted to his own resources and strength, God always loved him and David always knew it. Today as we come to a close, I want to end with the words of David. And I encourage you to reflect upon how he overcame his fears and how you overcome your fears. How God's love makes a way in the midst of every fear. Psalm 27 verses 1 through 6 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. I said they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. By the way, he was looking towards, he was looking unto something that you and I now have. We are one with God. We dwell in the very presence of God always. So you got one up on David here. But I want you to hear what he says. Verse 5. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with, shout, with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you today. Let's stand as we close out.
And as we stand here this day, I want you to consider what you are truly standing upon. God's word asserts that you are standing on a high rock. God's word declares and asserts to us today that we're covered under him because he's our strong tower. He's our refuge. He's our strength. When it's dark, his word declares that he's our light. When we feel lost, his word declares that he's our salvation. When we're afraid, his word assures us that we're righteous and that we're held in the palm of his hands and that he shall never fail us, that he delivers us always. He conceals us in his love. His love has made a way. Today, I dare you to stand boldly and face your fears and cast down every worry, every doubt, every lie of the enemy, everything that you see in the natural and stand upon your solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, which is alive in you, raised from the dead, who is now the power at work in you. You better praise God because you got much to praise him for. God, we bless you today. We celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate our strong tower. We're hidden under the shadow of your wings. God, we praise you this day. Faithful God. Good God. Loving God. You've proved it to us in Jesus. And Lord, we look to you. And only you today. We raise a praise unto your word, which is truth. And we declare that we have no reason to be afraid any longer. We thank you for the word this day, Lord, the truth that you've revealed to us. We thank you for Jesus. That in Jesus, your love is completely made manifest. It's clear and apparent to us. And by this love that you've given for us, Lord, you make a way in the midst of every fear. We thank you for that, Lord God. We bless you. We praise you.